you'd like to open your Bibles, please, at Matthew chapter 7. We're going to look at the section entitled, Ask, Seek, Knock. So really, I should have put dots after the A and after the S and after the K, because it stands for Ask, Seek, Knock. Now, here's Cornwall. Um, when we were here many years ago, John Rosser had a cottage in Port Isaac. Did anybody go and stay in it? Yeah, yeah, that's right. We went and stayed with it, and the first week of January, it was so cold that the um, icicles, great long icicles, were forming from the seawater. The salt was freezing. It was very cold, but it was very beautiful. And um, it's where Doc Martin is filmed, all down there. It's very, very nice. But um, if you were there, we, we would sit in bed and we would hear the water just lapping uh, against the harbour wall as we were getting up in the morning. It was quite idyllic. But sometimes the tide would go right out and you would see these fishing boats stuck in the mud. And you could go walking up to them and you could push them. And do you know how fast they moved when you pushed them? They moved about a tenth of a millimetre a year. Right, they, they, they were just stuck in the mud. And you think, these boats have been made for fishing, but you can't move them an inch. They're useless. It's impossible for them to be used for fishing boats. But then, a couple of hours later, the tide would turn, the water would come in, and bit by bit, the boat would be lifted up out of the mud. It was floating on the water. You could put an outboard motor on it and you could go zooming out the harbour and you could be going and catching mackerel right, left and centre and bring them home and barbecue them and it was wonderful. The difference, it was impossible until the tide came in. And people read the Sermon on the Mount Say, oh, isn't this wonderful? Turn the other cheek. Love your enemies. Be perfect as God is perfect. Be humble. Mourn. Be meek. And they say, utterly impossible. Utterly impossible. And they're absolutely right. Naturally, it is utterly impossible. However hard we try, we will fail miserably. Indeed, if we try to obey the Sermon on the Mount in our own strength, because we can't do it, we will end up doing exactly what Jesus preaches that we shouldn't do. In chapter 6 and chapter 7, he tells us not to be hypocrites. People who are on the outside are pretending there's something that's different from what they are on the inside. But then, when the tide of God's grace and God's Spirit comes in. And we know His power, His strength, His light changes everything. And we find that, yep, not perfectly till heaven, but really, from the inside out, this is not only what we want to do, but bit by bit we grow, so this is what we can do. People forget that by themselves, they are evil. Look, did you hear what Jesus said in verse 11? If you then, though you 
evil. It's frightening, isn't it? Oh, it says it there. If you, though you are evil. Hmm. That's our problem. We are evil. Um, you don't know why I put that picture up, do you? Does anybody know who that is? I will tell you, I have written it in my notes. But the problem is that I did the data projection long before I did my notes, so that actually they don't fit together too well. Um, let me see. We'll get there soon enough. His name uh, is something like Stephen Griffith. Ah, that's it, Stephen Griffith. Yeah. I'll tell you about him. He was doing a PhD in criminology. He was in Bradford. And um, clever guy, PhD student, was arrested. And they brought him into court and they asked him, what's your name? And he said, I am the crossbow cannibal. And that's who he was. His studies in criminology were to cover up him being a crossbow cannibal. But, um, yeah, they forget that, that by ourselves we are evil, but God, his supernatural grace, comes into our lives and lifts us up so we can actually live different kinds of lives not perfect, but spiritual life, beginning to be like Jesus, putting the Sermon on the Mount into practice. But anyhow, here we are, first point, verse 11. We are evil. Hollywood, film stars, and we find out how evil some of them are. Politicians, they're beginning to shake in their boots, aren't they? As revelations are being found about how evil they are. And just yesterday, what was it, seven members of the Royal Navy were, were sacked for their drug abuse. Here's this guy, Stephen Griffith, the crossbow cannibal. Nice on the outside. People you think, yeah, we, they, they make neighbours. And yet, shocking to find what's going on on the inside. You see, if God were to take his restraining grace from any one of us, we would be as evil as it's possible to be. And um, apart from God's restraining grace, we would be little devils walking upon the face of this earth because naturally, we are fallen. The Bible is very clear. The Bible tells us that we were created in God's image and therefore there is in every single human being the potential for incredible good. And this is why we can uh, find, you know, the heroes of our society who do incredible good. And that's because we're created in the image of God. But we are also fallen into sin, which means we have a sinful nature. So there is the potential for incredible bad. And if God takes his restraining grace from us, the incredible bad dominates and it causes havoc. And that's why we have evil dictators. Are we concerned about what's happening in North Korea? Yeah, because we know that people can do really evil things. We can have priests and politicians and teachers 
who can be really evil. Doesn't matter the level of education, doesn't matter their upbringing, they can be evil because it comes from our hearts. Created in the image of God, and therefore there's the potential for incredible good. Fallen into sin, so there's the potential for incredible evil. But Jesus Christ has come. And on the cross of Calvary, he shed his blood to deal with our sin, to rescue us, to redeem us, so that we can then know transformed lives. And then Jesus Christ ascended into heaven and sent the Holy Spirit to be with us. So we not only have forgiveness, but we now have the indwelling of the Spirit that enables us to live incredibly transformed lives, spiritual lives. I was listening to the testimony of one of the leaders of the Ku Klux Klan just this past week wonderfully transformed by the grace of God. Therefore, we must ask for God's help. That's what I'm saying. Because we are evil, naturally, in our own strength, we can't live out the Sermon on the Mount. So we need to ask God continually to give us help. Now, at home, I've got a leaf blower. Have you got a leaf blower? They're very valuable this time of year. I got this leaf, but incredible. I bought it from... Aldi for £29 and it's I've used it so much it's all falling to pieces so I just bought another one a couple of weeks ago that I got from Robert Dias for £35 with £5 off so I'm doing really well and uh, I got this leaf blower but I don't use it as a leaf blower I use it as a vacuum cleaner suction so I go out and it sucks all the leaves out and it mulches them into the bag and I put it in the bin. It's great. So I go all around the house. I tell Caroline I'm going outside to do the hoovering. <laughs> and I, I plug it in the garage and then I have my extension cable that comes uh, down to almost the front of the house. And then I put another extension cable in that that runs along the front of the house. And then I have its own lead that takes it up to the other side of the house to, to suck up all the leaves. And, and, you know, the electricity is continually flowing and I'm there sucking up these leaves. But I just pull it a little bit too hard and the connection between one of the plugs and one of the sockets is just, just broken a little bit and immediately it stops. Now, this is why Jesus tells us we've got to be those who are praying because we can't live the Sermon on the Mount in our own strength. And if the, the, the link between us and God is broken, instantly we begin to backslide. We grow cold spiritually. We, we, we're not knowing his spirit flowing through us, enabling us to live this way. And this is why he ends this passage of the Sermon on the Mount about praying all the time. If you look at verse 12 of chapter 7, the golden rule, so in everything do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. And if you go back to chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And this is the end of Jesus' teaching within these brackets. So this is the fulfilling of the law and the prophets. And Jesus says, we're evil. We can't do it in our own strength. And so the second point is prayer. Prayer is not an Aladdin lamp. We have to be praying. We've got to be praying. And Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek 
and you will find knock and the door will be opened to you. But prayer is not uh, an Aladdin's lamp. When I was at Sunday school, we sang a song, ask, 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 and it shall be given you. Remember it? Seek, 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 and you shall find. Knock, 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 it shall be opened unto you. Your heavenly Father is so kind. Ask, 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 and it shall be given you. And I thought, wow, isn't this wonderful? If only I can learn to pray, I can get whatever I want. I just need to ask God and it will be given to me. They never explained to me what it was. Ask, 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 and it shall be given to you. It <laughs> isn't everything I want. You see, I grew up and I got married and we had two daughters. And I spent years and years and years in my house living with three women. <laughs> Me and three women. I love them all immensely, but you know what it's like living with three women. So just imagine, right, my daughters are now, uh, let's pretend they're 16 and 14, all right? And Caroline's still 21 and there's me. <laughs> and I'm fed up living with these three girls in my house. I want a son. I want someone to go to rugby matches with, all right? And so I pray to God. Dear God, I know you can do anything. I know I just ask and it will be given to me. So I pray that one of my daughters will be a son tomorrow. Change him from a girl to a boy. No, I not only pray, I pray fervently. I really pray. And I pray loud. And I get excited in my praying. And I'm not only that, but I'm going to back now, I'm going to prove that I have faith, God. I'm going to back up my prayer with my action, and I'm changing one of my daughter's names to Fred. <laughs> All right? So, so it, it says, prayer, God hears and answers prayer. So I'm praying that you'll turn my daughter into a son, and to prove that I'm believing, I've changed the name to Fred. Will God answer my prayer? We are absolutely certain he won't. Because prayer is not an Aladdin's lamp that I can get whatever I want as long as I rub the lamp properly. But prayer is so that God's will is done. Prayer is not so that we get God to do what he doesn't want to do. But prayer is what enables us to receive what God wants to give. You see, Imagine you wake up late in the morning and you're really cross with yourself because you have an important meeting in Doncaster in 15 minutes' time. And you have to get dressed and you have to get there. And you say, Lord, I know that you can do everything. Nothing's too difficult for you. I pray that you will move Doncaster to the end of my street. So I just get out of bed. Oh, I'm in Doncaster. Isn't that wonderful? Can God do it? He can create the stars. He can do everything. Will God do it? No. All right. Or here's another one. Imagine. Now, this is easy for some of you. Imagine you haven't done any gardening for seven years. <laughs> All right. Your garden looks like a jungle. And you suddenly realize that you would like it to look like... Um, Something from, um, you know, a National Trust garden or Kew Gardens or somewhere. And so you pray, dear Lord, while I'm asleep, 
please send your angels to cut all the hedges, to um, trim the lawn, get rid of all the dandelions and daisies and make it perfect, uh, to do all the taping around the trees and make all the flowers blooming. And I believe you so much that I'm sending invitations to all my friends to come for a barbecue in my garden tomorrow. Is God going to do that? No. Because if he prays, not so that I twist God's arm so that my will is done on earth, but prayer is so that I am then a channel so that God's will is done on earth. Howard Hendricks wrote once an article saying how pleased he is that God doesn't answer all our prayers. Because he went to church once and there was a lady in the church who came up to him and said, Howard, you're such a lovely man. You would make a lovely husband to my daughter. I'm praying that God will bring you together. And he said, he's so glad that God didn't answer that prayer. <laughs> you see, we think of prayer as an Aladdin's lamp. Don Carson says, if he believed for a minute that by praying he could get God to change God's mind from what's doing perfect to do my will, which is imperfect, he would be terrified to pray ever again. You see, God knows what's best. We don't. And prayer is not so that we get our will done on earth, but it's the way that God's will is done on earth, in us and through us. The Apostle James tells us that there are two reasons why God doesn't answer our prayers. First of all, because we're not praying in faith. And secondly, because we're praying for ourselves. Selfish prayers. And yet most people think that's what prayer is meant to be. It's meant to be selfish. I remember a guy telling me why he was an atheist. We were in the gym and we were just talking and he said he was an atheist because some years ago his granddad was rushed into hospital and he prayed to God that if God existed, then his granddad would recover and his granddad died, so he's an atheist. As if God is there simply to do exactly what we tell him to do. Well, Jesus gave a teaching on prayer in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6 and verses 5 to 15, the Lord's Prayer. And he tells us that prayer is all about God. Your kingdom come, your will be done, your name be hallowed. And it's all about God's concern for others. Give us, not me, us, our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Lead us not into temptation. And it's all about us living godly lives. And here in Matthew chapter 7 from verse 7 onwards, Jesus tells us, how to get the power in our lives to enable us to live godly lives, to live out the Sermon on the Mount, to put the Sermon on the Mount into practice. And it's by asking, seeking, knocking, by keeping in communion with God, keeping in prayer, seeking God's will to be done. And we're to ask for that. What we've got here is not teaching so that we get my will done, so that it's God's will be done, so that we can live godly lives. And that's why this verse 9 is so relevant. Do you remember the story of the feeding of the 5,000? And the little boy took his lunch. What did he have? Bread and fish, didn't he? Five loaves and two fish. That's what we need to live on in those days. And Jesus says, which of you, 
if your son asks for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. He says we're to come to ask God for what we need to live. And God will give it to us. So prayer is not an Aladdin's lamp so that my every wish can be uh, granted. Thirdly, God's will is done through persistent prayer. That's why it, it, that chorus we learned as children is helpful because it says, ask, 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 and it will be given you. Seek, 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 and you will find, because these words in the Greek are in the present continuous. We go on asking. So we're to be continually praying that God will give us the strength and the power to live for his glory and honour. We don't say, well, I, <laughs> I asked 20 years ago, and I'm just waiting for God to answer. I'm not going to ask a second time. I'm not going to bother him again. No, we just ask, ask, ask every day. We're not to say, well, I asked and it didn't happen, and so I assume it's not God's will. No, we know this is God's will, and so we pray, 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 always seeking God's will to be done in our lives. If we know a missionary who is captured in Bolivia, then we will pray that God will keep him safe and that God will release him. But we know there is a possibility that God might actually be calling him to be a martyr. Or God might be using his captivity to uh, evangelize the, his, um, these terrorists. Or God may be creating a testimony that's going to be powerful in the future. So we say, Lord, we want you to keep him safe, and we pray that he would be released. But your will be done. Because we're not sure what God's will is in those things. But here, in the Sermon on the Mount, we know what God's will is. So we keep on praying for this to be done. Continual prayer. God's will is done through persistent prayer. Fourthly, God's will is done through all prayer. All different kinds of prayer. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Someone said it's a bit like a person who's got to find a relative and they're not quite sure where the house is. So they're, they're walking through the town and they ask for directions. And someone says it's up there. And then they seek for the house. And when they get there, they knock on the door. So ask, seek, knock. It's quite helpful. And different ways of seeking God. But what Jesus is saying is that if you're going to know the power of God to live out the Sermon on the Mount, then you've got to be praying. And there's got to be all kinds of prayers. Asking, seeking, knocking. We pray as much as we can. Now, we're not great at public praying as a church, are we? You know when we come to a prayer meeting, sometimes it can be really heavy going and difficult because we're not good at it. And there are not many churches that are. We've got to learn, we've got to grow, we've got to develop, we've got to prepare our hearts. So when we come to public prayer meetings, we're there, you know, bursting to pray. But there's not only public prayer meetings. We pray when we put the children to bed. We pray when we drive down the street. We pray when we sit down and open our Bible and have a quiet time. There are times when we are deeply concerned and we go and kneel beside our bed and we, we plead with God for these things. And we've got to be asking, seeking, knocking. Ask, 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 seek, 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 knock, knock, knock. Persistent, all kinds of prayers. The success of missionaries in the 21st century 
depends upon Christians praying. The growth of the church depends upon Christians praying. People being converted depends upon Christians praying. Spiritual maturity depends upon Christian bless praying. The blessing of heaven depends upon Christians praying. And so we have got to be praying that God's will is done. Because too often on this earth, the devil's will has been done. And we have to get down on our knees and pray, our Father who art in heaven, your will be done. Fifthly, God's will is the golden rule. Here's the brackets between chapter 5 and chapter 7. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. If you want to know what God's will for your life is in a nutshell, it's this. Do to others what you would have others do to you. In the Apocrypha and other writings, this phrase appears always in the negative. It's don't do to others what you wouldn't want them to do to you, which is helpful. But Jesus puts it positively. Jesus isn't simply saying, don't be nasty. Don't be naughty. <laughs> Jesus is saying, be loving, be helpful. And we're to be like Jesus Christ. We're to put others first. We're to put ourselves out for others, which is difficult because it means putting ourselves out for our boss and our work colleagues and our neighbours and our home group leaders and annoying people, for our enemies, for strangers. We're to do to them whatever we would like them to do to us. You like them to accept you just as you are? Would you like them to show you hospitality? Would you like them to help you? Well, do unto others what you would have them do to you. Let's start being like that. Let's start following the ethics of Jesus taught in chapter 5, and the spiritual disciplines of Jesus taught in chapter 6, and the attitudes of Jesus taught in the rest of chapter 6 and chapter 7. Let's start doing to others what we'd have them do to us. And sixthly, and finally, we can't do this without God's power. It is impossible. If the tide doesn't come in, then the boat can't move. If we don't know God's help and God's power and God's strength, then we can't live out the Sermon on the Mount. Without God's help, we will fail miserably. And this is why we must pray. Because the strongest Christian who stops praying starts to backslide, becomes the weakest Christian, and in, is in danger of apostasy. When Adrian was 15, he came to see me. He'd just been converted. He said he'd come under such deep conviction of sin. And then he prayed that God would forgive him. And he said he felt as if it was maggots crawling out of his fingers as God was cleansing him and taking away his sin. He started to pray. He started to study his Bible, 15 years of age. And uh, he didn't turn up on time for the early morning men's prayer meeting one Sunday. And he told me that he was felt so guilty because he had been praying till about midnight and he'd fallen asleep on his knees and therefore was late getting up, coming to the prayer meeting. He was on fire for God. 
he got a paper round uh, to earn enough money to start buying uh, a, a bit of uh, Matthew Henry's commentary so he could study the scriptures in greater depth. He went out um, preaching when he was 16. And he preached on the love of Christ poured out into his heart. And people went and they started to call him Spurgeon because there was something special about him. He was walking close with God. He was spiritually powerful. Within two years, he was nowhere spiritually. And I remember asking him, Adrian, what went wrong? He said, well, the young people started calling me Spurgeon. So I thought I was a spiritual giant. So why did I need to pray? Within another year, he was living with a woman 15 years older than him. Or older, more than that, uh, her 16, 17-year-old son had been a friend of his. Nowhere spiritually. You know, when we break the link between us and God, we don't just stay as we are. We rapidly backslide. And this is why Jesus tells us to ask, to seek, and to knock. The only way to know God's power, God's strength in our Christian life is to be devoted to prayer. And if the Christian cannot survive without prayer, if the believer cannot survive without prayer, how much more the unsaved? If we just think we just sit there and swan through life and God will rescue us, how mistaken we are. We don't just sit there and wait for God's salvation. We've got to pray, pray, pray. Ask, seek, knock. Pray for mercy and grace. Ask God to forgive us our sins. Seek the Lord until we find him. Knock on the door of God's kingdom until he opens the door and welcomes us in. We keep on praying until God answers. And when he answers, when we know the forgiveness of our sins and we're spiritually alive, then we keep on praying so that we grow mature in the Christian life. And as we grow mature in the Christian life, we keep on praying until God's will is done in all the earth. And until that day when we knock on heaven's door and the gates are flung open and they say, welcome in. So let's ask, seek, knock so that God's will is done in us and through us and around.